All right, recording started. What were you saying about Ariel? <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, uh, we want to have a, uh, some kind of a text to focus on, I guess, is the idea. But <coughs> the question is, what's the, you know, there's so many texts, and this is what I was saying yesterday. There are really so many texts related to the Beit HaMikdash in, throughout uh, Tanakh, throughout everything, that it's really hard to zero in on a particular text. So one useful, uh, one useful approach, one thing that, that we should ask ourselves, I think, is when we look at the Beit HaMikdash, what is the, what's the relationship between the Beit HaMikdash as an institution and the participation of the people? Meaning, is the Beit HaMikdash there mainly to, uh, to inspire you? Like, that's what we've been talking about so far. We've been talking about how the Beit HaMikdash is a place that orients you to some higher framework. And in that framework, you uh, are able to develop in certain ways that maybe you wouldn't be able to without the Beit HaMikdash. Um, but what I wanted to actually... But if we, there's two texts we might be able to focus in on that maybe we'll shed some light. One is in... Uh, it's not about the structure of the Beit HaMikdash because I find that the, uh, the texts about the structure of the Beit HaMikdash, about the Mishkan, are so detailed that like, you just get lost in the details of one particular Kli Mikdash and you will lose the entire uh, focus. So what is useful, I think, from our perspective is to focus on two categories of things within the Beit HaMikdash. One is the... <clears throat> the structure which we talked about a lot already. Big day kehuna we really didn't talk about. We didn't talk about kehuna and big day kehuna the role that that plays actually in the, uh, which is important. And then tomorrow we'll get to. I want to do that on, the, on a day that's maybe we'll just do that so that we can we can flesh it out fully. You recommend after the recording? Not necessarily. I mean, we could basically revisit the same ideas <clears throat> without that recording or we can... We, when we discuss it again, whether you listen to the recording or not, I'm sure this, that reviewing it will, will be good. Um, in in Parashat Titzaveh is actually where you find the uh, where you find the um, the discussion of the big day Kimuna, But there's also something interesting there. Uh, I'm not sure I made the entire parak. Let's see the entire parak here. Let's see the entire parak. Maybe I should use the. Uh, Maybe I should just use Safari because yeah, I was using the Alatoa, which I like also. But I, I always have difficulty figuring out how to get it to cooperate. Have you used Merkava? What's that? <coughs> oh, here we go. I got it. I got it. All right. So, yeah, so we have. So, in Barsat Tavez really talks mainly about the Big Day Kiwana, that's where it's introduced. But I wanted to first start with something before we go into that. Um, on uh, there's two interesting things about Parshat Tzavah. So you know that the structure of the Beit of the Mishkan is basically laid on Parshat Tzumah. Everyone knows that. So what what is really the, the Mishkan comprised of? What are the different components? So are we are we looking in Parshat so in Parshat Tzumah? Just as an overview, quickly, we're not going to read every pasuk. But what are the things in the uh, in the Mishkan in terms of the structure of the Mishkan? What's what's there? Are talking about like the Everything. What do you have in the Mishkan? Huh? What's described in the Mishkan? What do you have? Well, well, in, what it, you're seeing as you walk in. You yeah. So when you, when you, uh, the way that the text describes it, you can well, go in either order, either from where you you know where, where you walk in or from uh, 
from the order that the Torah gives you, it doesn't matter. Um, it starts with that, we're talking about the Aron first, right? Yeah. So it works backwards. The Turma, Pasha Turma, works backwards. Right? So that's in Perek, Cafe and Shemot, um, the collection of the materials, and then the Asuli Mikdash, Veshachanti Betocham, and you have the Aron, Shulchan, Menorah, right? And then you have, that's what you would think, right? That's what you would think, but it's not in Parshat Roma. Hashem forgot to put it in. It's only, it's in, in Parshat Roma you have, the, you have the, the, the Kelim that are in the Kodesh Kodeshim, and in the Kodesh. What is? It's not the Maftir, but it's in there. It's in the end, towards the end. Of, yeah, towards, I mean, yeah. End of Yeah, it's Shri. Yeah, so in the so, so in Truma you have in Parshat Truma, which is the first introduction of the Midrash, you have Aaron, Shulchan, Menorah, no uh, no Mizbacha Kitorot, and you have the Mishkan outside, meaning you have the curtains. Well, first of all, you have the curtains that enclose the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim. Then you have also obviously the uh, uh, the um, uh, the the mizbeach, which is what's called the mizbeach ha'ola, where the korbanot are brought, and you have the azara that's, that doesn't have a roof over it, which is called chatzara mishkan, okay. which we call the azara. Now we call that the azara chatzara mishkan. That's all that you have actually in parashat shuma. There's no mention in parashat shuma of the mizbeach haketor. Right? There's no mention of big day kehuna or the role of the kohanim at all in parashat shuma. That all comes in Parshat Tzavit. So the layout of the Mishkan. Do you have any like diagram of everything that we? Do you have a Do you have a picture of the whole Mishkan or the big dust in there? Same layout that Jordan has, right? So the the basic thing is when you come, you remember that the Beit Hamikdash faces west, not east. Beit Hamikdash. Meaning is to the west. Yeah, the entrance If you write the entrance is in the east. And they say yeah, one of the reasons that the Farshim give is to reject sun worship because most of the idol oh. worship they'll be facing the east because the sun comes up. So instead, the Mikdash is facing west. Um, is this a, a good diagram? Uh, you have the best diagram. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's good. And the community is fine. Yeah, so that's a picture, it? though. You have a, you have like yeah. the, the layout. Bird has it. Bird's time. Like a bird's eye. Mikdash, yes. This is the same. The layout is the same, just not the. Uh, that's the no, condition. Like, the you want to see the whole thing? Can you show the whole thing? I know that they have oh, it. Is that it? Yeah. It's okay. a little bit hard to see all the parts, but yeah. So, what's mentioned and what's so, not mentioned? Um, this is the Azara. The unroofed part is called the Azara. Uh-huh. Okay? In the Azara, you're going to. This is just the outside, you know, like the Koto. Yes. yes. Trust, okay. Trust the code of this. Yeah. Um, that's called the When chatzer, you come right? in, you're going to have the chatzer, with, mm-hmm. which has the, uh, the mizbacha ola on it. Oh, in the it. Chatzer, oh, there it is, yeah. The chatzer is where? This is the, I guess, the Ezrat Nashim. Ezrat Nashim. Yeah. So this is the, that's the chatzer. I didn't realize that there was what's the thing. What's the place on the outside called? This is okay, yeah, this whatever. Is that's a different area. Yeah. That's, that's, not that's, that's open, right? Right. Oh, that's, that's, like a, that's a different area around. It's called the chem. This is the chem. Yeah. The outside area, yeah. This is just the approach, I guess, of Harabai. This is yeah. So this is the this is Ezra Nashim. So then you walk up. This is Ezra Israel. Like even Goyim can go over there. From Shadi Kanor. Eleven Amot. Yeah. Where is what? Oh, just going to say it. Yeah. 
So, Hold on. So that, so there's right. Rabbi, the only reason why you're facing east when you're praying at the Kotel is because you're facing the back. When we come down to the shul, come down this way. You yeah. come down, you get down to the Kotel here. Yeah. So when you look at the Kotel, you're looking at the, the Iron Dome here, yeah. you're looking at Harzei team here. Yeah, got it. Okay, Iron so now, now talk... Iron Dome is something else. Yeah. Okay, now getting into the, into the Beit HaMikdash. Right, so, so, so in Parashat Chuma, what you're talking about is this part, right? You have the outer part, which has the Mizbach yeah. HaOla. Uh, the, 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 the first is the It goes backwards. I mean, it works from the inside. Right, you can't see the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodesh in this picture. Uh, oh, there's another one. Show the inside of you there. Is that bird's eye view on? Yeah, that's the bird's eye view. Yeah, that's what I want. Bird's eye. That, what you had is what you need. Let's show yours. Show yours. Look, Sean has it basically. That's a layout. See? Ezrat Nashim. Chel is around the outside. You have Ezrat Kohanim. The Ezrat Israel is the area where regular Jews are allowed to go. Then Ezrat Kohanim. Even Goyim can go here? Uh, anybody can go on Ezrat Nashim. Okay. Is that Israel? And then this is Ezra Khanim. You can be Tamamet. No, you can be Tamamet. You can't be like a Tamamet carrier. Tamamet from the bottom. That's where we go. I thought we'd go around. We don't go. Yeah, we don't go in this section, I'm saying. Okay, so then the Truma talks about the. Really, it talks about from Ezra Israel and not. It's just this. Right? Got it. It doesn't really talk about Ezra Nashim because it didn't, didn't happen. Where's Ezra so, Israel? Because a Jew, oh, regular Jew can only right. go up to there and then the Kohanim are here. Yeah, That's no Jews will ever enter from here right. on, right? Right. And then, then you have the Ulam, which doesn't, it doesn't exist in the, uh, in the Mishkan, really. Okay. What's the Ulam? The Ulam is just that antechamber in front of the Is that the, the tall? That's the tall? It's like wide. It's like, it looks it's like, like a like a walkway. They go around, yeah. right? It's like a... Oh, it's the When you first walk in... Just this empty, it's like an antechamber. It's called like, like, Where a, is the Mizbech, like, like what do you call it? Uh, when you have in your house when you first walk in, like foyer. Yeah, it's like a foyer. Where's the Mizbech and How many Mizbechs are there? And where's the other Mizbech? Where are the two Mizbechs? Oh, so doesn't mean the Mizbech outside the Torah that's inside Kodesh Kodesh? Right, it doesn't, it's not inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. Where is it? The only thing inside the Kodesh Kodeshim is the Aron. It's right outside the Kodesh. In the Kodesh. Right? It's called it's the Kodesh. Kodesh. Right. This what? is the Kodesh it, right here. But it's not mentioned in Parshat Tumah. Where, where are the two Mizbeachs? One is here. This, this is Mizbech HaOla, the big one, because it's where the Korba note actually okay. goes. So in here, in the middle, in the center of the Kodesh, oh, the is Kodesh, the Mizbech HaKitor. And then you have the Shulchan, and you have the Menorah. Got it. So, okay. it, so everything in Jerusalem. Menorah is to the south. Remember, you're oriented in, to the west. The Menorah is to your south. So only the Kodesh would go into the Kodesh. Yeah. So this is in times of Shlomo where there were 12, there were 12 of each. Thing, but by Chini there was one of each. So the Mizbah HaKitorat was here. Wait, Shlomo was by Chini? Oh, Shlomo was by Rishon. So Shlomo had 12, by Chini had one. Right. And the Menorah was on the left. And the Mishkan had one. They made 12 of it. 12. The Mishkan is what we know about because it's in the Torah. I thought the second Mikdash was the bigger one, no? No. The complex the, uh, Yeah, the, um, the western oh, wall was added. Drugs were added. Bethlehem was added. They made a much bigger Yeah, they had... They so had inside a, was exactly I think the Farshim discussed whether it was actually done... Uh, whether whether they did all of them or they did just so one basic, and the other ones were just uh, were symbolic. So, so basically, Tumah just talked about what's in the Kodesh. Mm-hmm. So Parshat Shumat just talks about what's Shumat it? talks no, about no, no. this because it doesn't talk about this mizbech. Talk about the mizbech. Oh, it talks about this mizbech. Tzavet just right. Shumat doesn't mention mizbech. Right? Right. Even though it mentions everything else that's inside the um, 
that's inside the, uh, the, the, the you know, that would be ultimately inside the Mishkan. The only thing it doesn't mention is Mizbacha Ketorah, which is a very interesting thing. We have to understand why that is, right? So, so that, but that's basically how, that's a Pashat Shumatah. So it's, now I understand why it's weird that they don't mention that because it, that's it's part, right there in the middle of what right they're discussing the and it, it doesn't, doesn't mention it. So, uh, yeah, that's how they would, it looks yeah, like Superman. That's why you always say Superman. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, so, are the Uriot significant in that conversation or not? Well, that's the, the Uriot are what encloses the Kodesh and, the, and obviously the Kodesh and Kodeshim. They didn't use Uriot in the Bet HaMikdash, had regular walls. And, uh, and the Chatser had the, uh, you know, the Amudim that they had going on the outside of the Chatser. Our, our mm-hmm. Is there Where's a distinction the between the Mishkan and the Mikdash, or it's the same idea? It's basically the same. The difference, what is the difference? Who knows what's oh, the difference so between the Mikdash and the Mikdash? Right after the Ulam, the Mikdash, who could say? Oh, what's the real difference? The Kodesh starts right after the Ulam, right? What is the whole idea is that basically... So all the Kohen calls to answer here. Yeah, and the Levim, we would stand on these steps. So why is this not called? Why is the whole bigger portion? It's the Azara. It's considered Azara. But just Kohen. Same rules apply to Azara and the Kodesh, yeah. basically, of who can go in. Yeah. I mean, except that only Kohanim can go into yeah. the Kodesh. In, in the... And where can the, the, go? The only difference between... Um, <coughs> they're allowed to go into <coughs> the area where they sing. So the only difference between... Uh, Mishkan and Mikdash is the permanence versus temporary. The structure is essentially mm. the same. And whatever Shlomo Melech added wasn't of the essence of the, uh, of the Mikdash. It was basically uh, just another, uh, you know, just an elaboration on it. So the Rambam talks about how the measurements and stuff like that are not set in stone. Shlomo Melech didn't follow the measurements. The measurements of the Mikdash are not set in Yeah, the, the, like what needs to be in there is, but the... Uh, like, like, like he can make the... Like we can make that as, as much bigger. You can make things bigger, like the sizes are not fixed. Um, it's just that the layout is fixed, the types of things right. that you have to have. Are fixed. Right. Um, yeah, one minute now, you can only get one sponsorship. If you have 12, yeah, 12. Makes sense. <laughs> the next one's going to be like a thousand. <laughs> 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 Three piece sukkah is going to be like swindling people. In the... <laughs> so, uh, okay. So we have. So when we go to Pasha Titzaveh, so look at Pasha Titzaveh. What's the main thing? Actually, the only things that are important to us is the, are, are the Arun Shulchan and Nara. We're not going to talk about all the other things in Pasha Titzaveh. What is it? What's the uh, on the that Parshat Truma just tells you the structure of the of the uh, of the yeah. uh, guys. It's going to be bad on the recording if we have too many side conversations because people won't be able to hear. <coughs> if we if we um, we talked about a lot about the structure and the layout of the of the mikdash and what it means. Right? We, that was a lot of what we talked about. The significance of the, here. of the mikdash layout. So that's really in Parshat Truma. Whatever we talked about in terms of the the symbolic significance, whether it's a representation of Mamar Har Sinai, whether it's, a, it's supposed to orient you to uh, a Masebereshit, whether it's, you know, it, it represents a, you know, the Kohen Gadol represents the idea of approaching God in the highest level of understanding of a person. The, the, the Mizbach HaNechoshet, the outer Mizbeach, which is also called Mizbach HaOla sometimes, both names are correct. Um, in the Mishkan, it was made of Nechoshet, that's why it's called Mizbach HaNechoshet. Right in the, uh, it wasn't. Made, it was made of stone in the 
final uh, Beit HaMikdash. But that it's all related to the fact that what they would do is they would, the, the Mishkan was temporary. It meant that the Shekhinah was, since the Jewish people were not fully stable and established in their land, so therefore they didn't, the Shekhinah wasn't fully established. The Shekhinah traveled with them. It was still in flux, the relationship. Once they had a stable Malchut, so then they could have a stable Beit HaMikdash um, that was supported by that Malchut. Because the whole idea is that, our, that the Malchut Adam is instrumental to the expression of Shekhinah and Malchut Shemaim, just like in the case of, uh, let's say, Daniel, and what he tries to do is, Bidiyavad, in the realm of, you know, of Nebuchadnezzar, to make the Malchut Adam instrumental to the Malchut Shemaim. In, in, in Israel, it's supposed to be that way, Lechatchila. And so, uh, the layout, we talked about a lot of the symbolism of that, and everything that is, uh, everything with respect to that is found in... Parashat Shuma, except for the Mizbah HaKetoret, which is deferred to Parashat Tetzavah. Let's try to see, see if we can understand why. So let's open up Parashat Tetzavah. And again, we're not going to be able to read all the details. It'll take forever um, to go through all the details, and then we will lose the forest for the trees. But we want to at least get a sense of what goes on in Parashat Tetzavah. So what, what do you see in Parashat Tetzavah? I think it's Kafe, no? Or Tukhav Sain? Uh, is it the beginning of the Parashat? No, it's Lamed. No, it's, it's a, a, a Kaf... Uh, can you talk about the Mishnah? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm talking about Parashat Titzavah itself. Yeah, it's Lamed. Oh, it's already Lamed? Okay. No, no, no. The beginning is Chavzai. That's the end, yeah. I thought it was earlier. Chavzai. Pasuk Chav. Yeah, it starts in the middle of the parak. The Prakim are not helpful a lot of times. Christians. Yeah. So see that? So what, what do we have there? What's, what's, what's in, what is he instructed to do in, in, in Parashat Tetzaveh? What is Moshe Rabbein? It's mainly Big Day Kehuna. So what, and what's the objective of Big Day Kehuna as, as the Torah outlines it? What does it say? What does it Do you want to start reading the Tzukim? Read the beginning, but it says, it says, um, moving to the big day, right. for glory and for, for honor and for glory, right? That's, that's the, so, and that's one of the halachot of big day kehuna, that the, the kohen that uh, serves without a, without big day kehuna is considered like a non-kohen, right? It's not a, uh, he, he's, he's not considered to be a full kohen unless he's wearing the, uh, Wearing the big day kehuna has to be wearing the big day kehuna in order to um, uh, in order to qualify as a kohen. Actually, I want to um, grab a real chumash. As much as the computer's helpful, I, I can't take it. What does the book stand? Yeah, it's the chumash. Thank God, it's good. Uh, it's a mikor gedolot. So, in the context of so, what does lechavod tifarad mean? What do you think? Honor and glory. Of, of, <laughs> to honor the Kohen? Hashem, Hashem. You know, the, the, the actual Pasuk is kind of vague. It also says Chukat Olam. You know, because it says the Chavur Tifaret, and it doesn't say of whose Chavur Tifaret, because you should make it for them. Let's seek to make the Kodesh, La Arun Achicha, La Chavur Tifaret. I would take the Kodesh of Israel. Okay, good. That's another possibility. That's the representation of Israel. Because they're representing Am Israel. Yeah. So that could be that. But who sees it, though? They don't, don't see it. 
They don't see the Kohanim? ויהי Meaning that's what makes him a Kohen. He's wearing Gadim. Without Gadim, he's not really considered fully a Kohen. Even a Kohen Gadol that wears the big Gadim of a four, you know, the four Gadim of a regular Kohen is Avodah's Pasul. He has to be always dressed in the proper outfit. Right. It's, a, it's 100% Me'akev, the Avodah. Okay, what is the Chavodot Tifaret? So Ibn Ezra says, She'yitparu bahem. They should become that lawful. they should be proud, meaning it's a kavod to the Kohanim. Ki en echad mi Yisrael Nobody else gets to wear fancy clothes like that. Okay, so according to Ibn Ezra, the Kohanim are the ones who are glorified through the uh, through the uh, begadim. And again, Ramban also shien nichbad mifor bimalbushim nichbadim mifororim that the Kohen should be glorified with these uh, beautiful. Um, uh, beautiful uh, garments. So now why does the coin need to so be So why glorified? would the coin need to be glorified? What, what would the benefit of that be? What's it, why, why do you want to glorify the coin? Well, think about the opposite. Like, what would happen if the coin wasn't dressed in a respectful way? It would make, it would make Judaism look... Like, He's like, representing God. Like a joke. You know, like... You, you want the representatives of your nation to be... Mm-hmm. He's a representative of the nation, right? So, in approaching God, right? He's serving God, right? Now the Ramban at the end says that the chaborul tifaret means the sharet behem the Hashem. Okay, meaning that it's a that really and the Sephora also he says the chavod ha eliyit barach biyotam bigdei kodesh lavodato. What what is clothing? Okay, yeah, okay. What is clothing? Let's go. Let's go do, deep. Let's do this. No, what like, are the purpose of clothing? And, and, and who, who enjoys the clothing? Is it the person wearing it or the person seeing it? Good question. Both. So it's the person seeing it. That's the whole question. It puts you in a mind. Puts you in a certain mindset also. First and foremost, you're, 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 you're like killing your own individuality, and you're becoming right. Uh, right. Part of a bigger. Think about if everybody so was. It's like a uniform. When exactly. somebody wears a uniform, you feel part of the team. There's two things that happen. One is, in your own mind, you are representing the institution, whatever the uniform is, is, is meant to be designated for. Okay, You're right. not using clothing. Normally, we use clothing to express our individuality. It's in, a tool of individual expression, right? This is, a guy has a certain style, dressed a certain way, or doesn't, or whatever. It expresses who you are. When you're wearing a uniform, by definition, it's the opposite. Even think of school uniforms, right? The idea is we don't want the child to be focused on how do I express my individuality through my clothing and attract attention to my individuality, to my, my uniqueness as an individual. Rather, we want them to just focus on being a, the role of being a student. So we want everyone to wear the same thing. Not that when you go out, you can't wear something different, but when you're in school, we want you to wear a uniform because that means you're not going to have your thoughts on expressing and drawing attention to your individuality. So when a Kohen is wearing the uniform of the Kehunah, essentially it 
is con- rather than his clothing becoming a, an expression of his individuality, the clothing becomes an, an, an expression of his role as Kohen. He is not, uh, I don't know, Shmuel the, the, the Shmuel Kohen. He is now a, a Kohen of the Beit Hamikdash. So, the, and that's his that's his identity. That's identity is expressing. And so, there's the kavod is number one that he's showing honor to God, and that's part of like what Sean was saying. The way that the fact that he's dressed in beautiful, specially designated clothing that draws attention away from him as an individual and to the task that he's doing, that's a kavod to Hashem. But it's also his own mindset, that when he's serving, his mind is not supposed to be on his own personal interest or the attention that's being directed towards him. It's supposed to be on the avodah that he's doing, on the role that he has. Because when you're wearing a uniform, even when you dress up, think about how you, if a person comes in like pajamas and whatever, to go out to do something. You don't feel the same. You dress up for Shabbat, you feel a different feeling. You dress up, for, you wear uniform, any kind of a uniform, you feel differently. Because you're looking at yourself in the context of the role that you have to uh, play, and not just as an individual. And the attention that's being directed at you is not at you as an individual, it's at what your task is, or what your role is. And that's why the Kohanim are not allowed to wear their own clothes when they serve in the Beit HaMikdash, and it will be Pasul. Because the Beit HaMikdash is supposed to be a place where the only focus is on Kibbutz Shemayim. And the people who are there are instrumental to that. In fact, the Rambam, in the section about Kohanim, is a very funny section named Klei HaMikdash Ve'avdimbo. Okay? The inanimate and the animate Kelim of the Beit HaMikdash. The Kohanim are the Ovdim. The Kelim are pots and pans and whatever else. You know, the Kelim. The different components of the Mikdash. But it doesn't only mean that. It also can mean the Shulchan. And all. The, the components, the furniture, as well as the Kohanim. These are two. There's the, there's the engine of the Beit HaMikdash. And there are the props, you could say. But there, there's nothing. It's not that the Kohanim are, have a significance, are supposed to be given some kind of a kavod separate from the role that they're playing. They are instrumental to the function of the Beit HaMikdash. So that's why you have the, uh, the, the kavod and the tiferet can really be both. I mean, we, it's a kavod and a tiferet that they rise above their individuality to serve a higher purpose of Avodat Hashem. It is a, that's the true kavod. Right? So it, just like if a soldier is where, you know, a soldier wears their uniform and they're representing the... IDF, let's say, you know, it's a kavod that they get to be the representative. It is a kavod that they're representing higher purpose, representing higher cause. That's the highest. They feel that they are using their energy for something beyond themselves. What's a kavod? That is greatness, right? But the greatness is not my personal ego, my personal, the attention that I get and that I'm such an amazing guy. The The purpose that I'm serving is what will make me special. The fact that I'm rising above my individuality to do that is what makes me special. So the, so the, yeah, you need it? Is that King Steffi? So, so the, um, so that's the show the Chanoli. So the Bigadim are meant to transform the Kohanim from individuals into instruments of the Beit HaMikdash, which explains why the same materials, basically, that the entire Beit HaMikdash is made out of, the Kohanim are also wearing. 
Tzachelet, Argaman, right? The Kohen Gadol's material, the material of his, uh, uh, of his outfit, it's made of the same kind of material as the, uh, as the, uh, as the Mishkan itself. Tapestry. Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of thing. And in, its, in the case of the, uh, in the case of the, the Kohanim, the regular Kohanim, that they wear simpler clothes, he's really the chief, he's really the one who expresses uh, the ultimate, uh, he's the director, he's the, he's the manager, the captain of the team, yeah, the executive, the executive, and the others are playing a secondary role, so they wear simpler clothes. Uh, but the, the concept of Kehuna, and I think this is an important thing, it says, here, it's a diuk in the Pasuk, really, because it says, make big day kodesh le'aron achicha, le'chavodul tifaret. Aron, right? But then, ve'asuat big day aron le'kadosh le'chanoli, and that's the big day kehuna. Later on, are the bigadim for the regular kohanim, right? The big day kehuna for the kohen uh, gadol is they're much more elaborate. Um, the big day kehuna for an ordinary kohen is much simpler. That's where is it? 40. Where is it? Four. It's half, uh, half man. Man. That's much later yeah. on. Yeah. But if they want to ask that, they have no team. Right? It's also Lechabot. It says again. Right? <clears throat> and, and it always says you should clothe Aharon and then his sons. Okay? You should... And, and if you look at the ritual of the, of the consecration of the Kohanim, it's Aaron, then his sons. Okay? The, and and that, the reason why is because the primary, the ultimate, the ultimate example, really, of a, of a Kohen is supposed to be the Kohen Gadol. The other Kohanim are playing a subordinate role, a facilitatory, you know, facilitating the Kohen Gadol in the Avodah. That's why the Kohen Gadol actually has to do an Avodah every single day. The Avodah. See, so he has like, you see that the regular Kohen has one beged that looks kind of like the colors of the, uh, of the Kohen Gadol. The one, the belt, right? That's the only one. The rest, so it shows that it's connected to the Kohen Gadol. What he has is, is, is connected to the, uh, uh, to the Kohen Gadol, but it's not the full thing. The full thing is the, is the Kohen Gadol's ultimate example. And the other Kohanim are uh, uh, in a secondary, uh, playing, a, uh, you know, facilitating an assistant role, you know? But, but the whole idea is that they blend into the Beit HaMikdash. They aren't there with their own agenda, they're blending into the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, and, and th- that's their, that's why they can only serve when they have the big day kiona on. Kleha Mikdash Dimbo. that's the main thing. That's why just like a korban can't have a mum, same halachot about a kohen not have a mum. It's very, it's similar, meaning they have to look the part, it will be a distraction. What, what, what is the problem with a mum? It will be a distraction and a focus on the individual person if they have some kind of a mum that stands out. <coughs> Even for Birkat Kohani, you have a broken... Did you have that? Uh, yeah, your ankle? Yeah. yeah I remember, you. but that was in New York. distinguishes you as an individual. Right, you, the focus is going to be on look at Kobe's leg, you know, it's, it's, it looks like it's broken, instead of on the uh, avodah that he's doing. Happened here. Oh, but, you, but I saw but you there. I went back. Yeah, I remember that. And you had, I think, you, because people saw it already, so they let you go up. Or they, they let me. It was after like two. You days. had been there for a while because it's like dash biron. Yeah. If, if everyone already knows, so they say, okay, you can dash biron. Right, dash biron. That's 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 for birkat twenty, but doesn't work for uh, doesn't work for the bittim dash. Because people are coming in all the time. There's but no dash biron. Don't we can't see that avoda though, could we? Whatever happens in the azara, you could see. You could see. 
Mm-hmm. And they well, leave the doors open of the Echad, like I said. Oh, so you could you see, could see yeah, inside. Oh, they do probably do. not so well, but... Uh, a lot of what they're... Yeah, probably nowadays they would, they would, they would have a cell phone. Uh, zoom in. Zooming in with a cell phone. Taking pictures. Yeah. I don't know if you'll be in the same... The same Mishmeret. You could go... How do you know he's not going to be Kohen Gadol? He already looks like oh, he's inside. How do you know he's not going to be Kohen Gadol? You never know. So, so in, 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 yeah, my, my son was telling me he has a friend in his base that's totally not religious, but he's a Kohen. He's like, what, the Beit HaMikdash is built? I'm going to be there. It was usually with families, groups of families. Was families every, every two weeks out of the year? Yeah, one week, and then again, it's like twenty-four. So it worked out to be two times a year. There's on the Chagim, everybody wants to come there. So, uh, but that's the idea of the Kohanim, and uh, this the idea basically the, the the broad outline of what the Kohanim in terms of the Kohanim is that they they are supposed to be. That's why they can't be drunk. They have to have full dot and whatever they're doing is the content. The, the seeing of the self. The subordinating of the self to the higher purpose of coming closer to God. That they're supposed to be manifesting God, supposed to be expressing that idea. And obviously that ideal is an ideal that we all try to, to, to aspire to, in, you know, to the extent that we can, to channel our energies that would normally be towards the self, towards the getting attention onto ourselves, towards, you know, like, uh, just, this is, isn't a perfect example, but think of the, think of the Nazir and the Sotah. People who come who use the Beit Hamikdash to recalibrate their personal development, mm-hmm. right? The Sota is a woman who is seeking attention for herself personally. She's seeking romantic attention. She comes to the Beit Hamikdash, and the name of Hashem is erased. Meaning, if you're focused on seeking attention for yourself, you're not focused on being Mikdash Shem Shemayim in the proper way. You come to the Beit Hamikdash. Why, why do you have to have that in the Beit Hamikdash of all places? But the idea is when we're involved in Znut or whatever, it's not just, when Am Yisrael does it, it's worse than when, when the Umot Olam. Because Umot Olam, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other things that they do. But when the Jewish people are doing that, it means that they're not involved in Kiddush Shem Shemayim, and therefore the name of Hashem is getting erased. Okay? And, and, and the, in, the, in the case of a Nazir, also the case of the Nazir is complicated because on one hand, being a Nazir is supposed to be, I give up any interest in my appearance. I give up any, appear, any interest in socializing because drinking is really about partying and socializing. I give up all of that. I give up that, so going to funerals, which is also really social in a way, even though it's also connected to the idea that he's an Eber Hashem on the level of a Kohen Gadol. Meaning he's giving up all the distractions of life to fully focus on Abodat Hashem. That's why if you look at what the nedr of the nazir is, it's, it's lahazir lashem. And then it says, what are the, what, what kind of, that designation of the self as lahazir lashem, what kind of, of restrictions does it entail? It entails living in a way that's fully devoted to God as an individual, more like a kohen. You're like a kohen from one of the other shvatim. There's only one huge difference See, and a Kohen can't drink wine either when he's serving, right? He can't become Tmeimet. But one interesting difference is that the Kohen has to get a haircut. He's not allowed to grow his hair long. And the Nazir does. Why is that? Why do you think that is? I think I said it once in a Shire Rafa, it was a long time ago. Kashola is not actually a Kohen? 
Like a gzerah? Mm. Well, think about it this way. A kohen, his job is to model for other people. So even though he, he's not supposed to be looking for people to focus on how he looks, his yeah. real job, he can't look bad because then people are, he's, he's going to denigrate the avodah. You don't want people to be like a nazir. Right. The nazir fire. is a person who isn't involved in broadcasting anything to the world. It's for his own personal development. So since it's for his own personal development, he grows his hair very long, it's okay. okay? So when, meaning that's good. It, in terms of Midor, it would be better if somebody didn't care about their appearance, but the Kohen has the obligation to present. So, he, so because it would be a, a, a denigration of the Avodah for him to be seen as, oh, what is this schlump? This guy doesn't get a haircut. How can it be the, the person serving God looks like that? We want the people to see Avodah Hashem as a desirable thing, a beautiful thing, a glorious thing. That's the whole point of the pageantry of the Mikdash. And Nazir's not involved in pageantry. He's staying away from that. So his removal from the physical and removal from the social and removal from all those concerns is just L'Shem Shemayim supposed to be. For his own, his own L'Shem Shemayim, not for anybody else. So therefore he, uh, he's allowed to, he's supposed to, you know, grow his hair. But then he comes back in the end, then he comes to the Beit HaMikdash to, to refocus, you know, to become a part of Am Yisrael again in the normal, a normal member of Am Yisrael. But whatever, but a, a nazir also has the double-edged sword that sometimes being a nazir can be a source of, atten- of pride. Right? It can be, oh, I'm, I'm a nazir. You know? What? That's why it's the Nuh at the end. Yeah, that's, that's, well, the, that's why he shades his whole hair off at the end. You know? Okay. Meaning that it would be like, oh, he's a nazir. It's very noticeable. Oh, he's a nazir. He makes his hair the korban. Right. His hair becomes like part of the korban. Mm. It, was, it was a, uh, that, that's a story of Shimon uh, HaTzadik. Uh, uh, the Kohen Gadol, Shimon HaTzadik, that he said I, he never would eat from the Korban of a Nazir. Because he said he, doesn't, he thinks that they all do it to show off. It, it wasn't really... It would take a 30-day Nazirut to show off that they were so holy. So he would never eat from their Korban until one day a boy came, boy, a young man came, and he saw that the, man, the young man had this beautiful hair. And he said to him, uh, why would you become a Nazir? You have such beautiful hair. He, and he said, well, one day I was tending my father's flock and I looked into the pond and I saw my reflection. And I thought that the Yitzhah was going to remove me from the world. Meaning I saw I was so good looking that I, uh, I thought it was going to destroy. I had a Yitzhah to, that he said, and I said to myself, I'm going to shave it off. Meaning that I, I, he really, he felt the pull and he decided to go against it, become a Nazir. He said, your korban elite. Because that was a real, he genuinely did it out of a desire to focus. He didn't, he saw, this guy felt that he was going off the derch, he was trying to seek attention for his handsomeness. And he wanted to so correct it. Why Nazir? Why not just get a haircut? Jokes aside, <laughs> meaning, no really, meaning, well, okay. The Nazir grows his hair for 30 right? days, meaning, that 30 days we grow hair, it doesn't become long, obviously, yeah. so his hair is long from before. Well, that 30 days is a minimum. Yeah, meaning, but yeah. why not just get a haircut? Why? Like if you think you're becoming too godly. Well, or one reason is because it's free to do it. To be, to be, you just come and they do it for you. <laughs> but no, the reason so is because Persian, this it, way yeah. you make it actually uh, a, for a, a, something for Hashem. That's why I saying, I want to make it, I want to demonstrate that my non-cutting... So if you just cut your hair, okay. But if you cut your hair and it becomes part of the ritual of the korban, so you're, you're actually uh, doing a, a service to God through it. 
He wanted to show that whatever I have, whatever my beauty, whatever, whatever my possession, it's all, it all. So it's not that Nazir has to grow his hair. It's you just not Nazir had grown his hair. A bald person could be a Nazir too. Yeah, and now he, he just doesn't cut his hair. Yeah. So that's. Uh, but anyway, that's the, the, that's the side point. But in terms of the the kiuna, that's the idea of the kohanim and hilchot klei mikdash va'ovdim. One last question. So why doesn't the Nazir cut his hair at the start of his Nazirut? Doesn't he want to become, like, get rid of the physical aspects? Like, right away, meaning... No, he's just... If the hair represents his, like, you know... It's non-grooming. He's like, I'm not going to groom myself. I'm not going to... I'm withdrawing from any involvement in grooming myself. I'm just going to let it be wild. Isn't he cut his hair before? No, at the end of the... No, only if he becomes Tameh and he has to restart. And he has to restart. Meaning before he becomes Nazir, he cuts it, no? No, at the end... Mm-hmm. At the end, or if he gets into. But I'm meaning if, if growing the hair is the bad thing that he wants to change, why not cut it at the beginning of his nazirut? So because again, they wouldn't be connected more, yet to yeah. the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose. The ultimate point is I neglected, I, I withdrew and abstained from grooming myself, and this, this is the product. I did it the shem shemayim. That's what the nazir is, is doing. So, but that's like the idea of the nazir is somebody who wants to go to an to go to the. Um, extreme in focusing on God because he realizes that he's gone his mind has gone into other things that are unhealthy he sees the sota and he says oh look what happens when you get caught up in that kind of a party lifestyle or that kind of thing and, you, and your mind is on uh, uh, getting the attention or the love or, or the uh, satisfaction of whatever it is that the uh, material life offers he wants to overcorrect for that right? so that, that, that's an answer now, but the one thing that we didn't answer is why is it now we understand the Kohanim and you have different levels obviously the Kohen Gadol let's say is the ultimate example of the Eved Hashem There's the subordinate Kohanim are like let's say the Talmidim Talmidim you know you could say like Moshe and Yoshua I don't know as an analogy right but now you have the uh, the, the Mizbeach of uh, Ketoret is not until much later we're not going into the details of the Big Day Kohanim, even though each one of them obviously has significance. We mentioned it the other day, right? That all of the, all of the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol either blend him into the, uh, into the Mishkan by being the same colors as the Mishkan or demonstrate that he is not his own person, that he belongs to Am Yisrael. He represents Am Yisrael. He has their names on his chest and on his, uh, you know, he has the... Uh, uh, he has uh, bells that ring on the bottom that, rem- that he can't sneak anywhere privately. He has no private life. He has Kodesh Hashem on his uh, headband. Right? Everything about him shows that he belongs totally to the Jewish people and to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the idea of the, of the Kohen Gadol's. And you say, well, that's not a, that's not a Tiferet and a Kavod. Right? That's not a Kavod and Tiferet. That means he's a loser. He belongs to others. But no, that's the whole point. Real kavod and tiferet is being a person who loses their focus on their, their indi- the smallness of their individuality and becomes something much greater than themselves. Becomes a, an instrument of bringing the Jewish people close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. An instrument in the hand of God, basically, to, to be an emissary of the Jewish people to guide them towards the Yad Tashem. That's, like, that, that's the greatest kavod. It means losing my individuality. What is my, what is my tiny, material, fleeting it's individuality? It's nothing. What's significant is what I'm able to do that's of eternal, uh, eternal import, and that's, that's what it's about. So that's the, that's the big day. Now, talked a little, little bit about before, but then you have the, the, the question, 
Uh, and notice, by the way, while we're still in Kohanim, that they are like objects, like I mentioned before. If you look at the, the ceremony of designating the Kohanim, right? They're like throwing blood on, on them, putting oil on them, throwing blood on them, just like they are part of the Mishkan. Just like they anointed the Mishkan, the vessels of the Mishkan, they anoint the Kohanim. They, they put blood on them from the Korbanot. Okay? So, uh, they, they, it's in Perk Chavtet that they, they put on the Big Day Kehuna and they put the, the, the blood on the Mizbeach, right? But then they also put the blood on their ear, on their hand, on their leg, right? So the idea, on their foot, I mean, the idea is that they're also becoming, just like the Mizbeach, is a vessel, is a vehicle of Avodat Hashem. They're becoming vehicles of Avodat Hashem. So, right? that, that's, that's the concept. And then at the end you have the uh, designation of the, uh, the, the introduction of the, the Ketoret. And this is important. So on, look, at, look at Shishi, at Aliyah Shishit. The Kaftet Pasuk Lamechet. Right? What is this here? What, what, Sean, do you see it? Want to read it? Because yeah, right after that in Lamed is the Mizbach uh, Ketoret. What is this talking about? What is it about? The Tamid? The Korban Tamid. Keep going. The Tamid is a Khatas of Okay, but the Tamid is a Shinitas seven and a bind. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. Visaron, Solet, Balu, Bishaman, Katit, Reva, Hain, Renesa, Repeat Hain, Yain, the Kevis. Right. So it's telling you also about the, what's called the Nisachim, uh, the oil, the wine. Nisachim was brought where? With, we poured it on the, the tamid, on the Tamid. The, there's Solet, Balul B'Shem, and there's a Mincha. It's called yeah. Minchat Nisachim. So anytime you bring a Korban Ola, you bring also, you burn uh, uh, with it the uh, Minchat Nisachim, which is the uh, flower offering that accompanies. It's the, brought on, the, on the outer Mizbeh. And all... The only thing ever brought on them is Bach Torah. Right. So this is brought when? Every day, morning and afternoon. Not with the not with the with the korban tamid. With the keves. It's part of the service of the at the korban. same time with the keves. Yeah, and, well, I mean after they did the meat part, they do the flower part, and they pour that wine. Got it. Yeah. No, no, notice this. This is really, really interesting. Look at this puzzle. What does that mean? Is that the entrance of the Oha Moed? Because that's where I'm going to meet you and that's where I'm going to speak to you. Yeah, so see that? Because that's the place where What Hashem is the Oha Moed? That's the Kodesh, basically. Any of the, the roofed part this is the Oha Moed. Not also the Ulam? The Ulam would be included in it, too. Oh, where? <laughs> where's roof? But the Ulam didn't exist in the Mishkan. This is, all, the this is all the Oha Moed. <coughs> Yeah. The Kodesh, basically. Yeah, the Kodesh and the Kodesh. The Kodesh and, and the Ulam. Yeah. The Ulam is just an extension of the Kodesh. Yeah. That whole effect, that's what yeah. all more. They didn't have that in the Mishkan Ulam. So, uh, so the, the, uh, <coughs> the idea is, Asher Iva'ed lechem shama, lidaber lechasham. That it describes Oel Moed as the place that I meet with you, that I, that I speak to you, that Nivu'ah occurs mm-hmm. in... The oil moed. That's where Moshe Rabbeinu receives nevuah, and therefore that's where the korban is brought. Right. Okay. 
ונועדי שם על לבני ישראל. He called his own tent Oel Moed. Here, now there's a national Oel Moed. It's not in his back. It's not his personal tent anymore. Oh, so Jordan's right? Yeah, that's what, what it's it said. Down. So his own tent became Oel Moed? Well, in Kitisa, if you look at Parashat Kitisa. That was the first Oel Moed. Right. It, it, oh, first was the listen, 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 I'll read it to you. He said, after the Chet Egel. Um, after the Chet Egel. His, his own tent where he lived? Was yeah, ori- that was the original one, I'm assuming. Listen, listen. The ones that- after Chet Egel. It says, after the Mishkan was built, was this tent ever Oel Moed again? No. Or no, that was transferred. Oel Moed is essentially the place that Moshe talks about. Right, listen, listen to what Moshe Rabbeinu, um, what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Where is it? Here it is. It says, this is talking about how the Shekhinah, the primary way that they saw the Shekhinah was when the cloud would come to Moshe Rabbeinu's tent. Vayaketzet Moshe el ha'oel. When Moshe would go to his tent. Oh, here it is. When Moshe yikach et ha'oel, Moshe took his tent. Venatalo mechutz la'machane. And he put it outside the camp. Harchek men ha'machane. Far away from the camp. Vekara lo ha'oel mo'ed. And he called it ha'oel mo'ed. Vayakol mevakesh Hashem. Yitzay ha'oel mo'ed. אשר מחוץ למחנה. And then it says, והיה קצת משה לאוהל, because he would come into the camp to do whatever he needed to do. When he would go back to the אוהל, יקומו כל העם וניצבו איש פתח אהולו, והביטו אחרי משה עד בוא האוהלה, והיה כבר משה אהולה, ירד עמוד הענן ועמד פתח אהול ודיבר עם משה. So משה רבינו would hear God speaking to him there. And the people would bow down when they would see the cloud coming that signified the Shekhinah. And, and so that was the uh, uh, that was Moshe Rabbeinu's practice after Chet Egel that he would be in the camp for whatever he needed but then he would stay outside and that's where he would speak to God as if to say like because of Chet Egel God's presence isn't coming into the camp anymore anyone who wants to seek God you have to come to me outside the camp okay? when the Oel Moed becomes the center of the camp that changes the whole character of the relationship between Am Yisrael and the Shekhinah and that happens when the, uh, the, when the Mishkan is built but now the only way is Moshe Rabbeinu so the idea of having a place a designated place which is not the same as the Machaneh it's not the same as the camp where they live it's organized around 
the Gilui Shechina, Hashem revealing himself to Moshe and, their, and through that to the people. Originally that was Moshe Rabbeinu's tent, but then it becomes, well, then it becomes a Mishkan. Okay? That, that, that's the idea. So that's why it says now, Moshe, V'no'ad Tisham al-Vnei Yisrael, V'nikdash B'chvodi, and I will, uh, it will be, and Rashi says, what does it mean, V'nikdash B'chvodi? Ha-Mishkan, because that's the place the Shekhinah is going to rest. That's what makes the Mishkan holy and special. It's the place where there's a meeting and encounter between human beings and God. And then it says, then it says, Notice how they're always together. The Mishkan and the Mizbeach and Aaron and his sons. And I will dwell amongst the Jewish people and I will be so that is the idea that this will be a place that reminds the Jewish people constantly of their relationship with God, solidifies their relationship, deepens their relationship with Hashem, uh, is the purpose of the Mishkan. Now you would think the Mishkan is finished. Because once you have that, what more do you need? But accidentally Hashem forgot to mention one part of the Mishkan and left it to the next chapter. It sounds like you're done with the Mishkan. Like from this pasuk, it sounds like that's it. And then all of a sudden, in the next, in Perak Lamed, what do you have? And by the way, this is the Korban Tamid mentioned here. What does it say in Parashat Pinchas? Olat Tamid Right? Meaning, it's a that's a good proof for the Ramban's idea that the that the concept of the Beit Hamikdash and the Mishkan was to sustain the experience of Har Sinai. Because the Korban Tamid was like the fire that was on the mountain, the fire and the cloud that was on the mountain of Har Sinai. You know, Hasriyab Har Sinai. Either that, or it means the Korbanot that they were bringing on Har Sinai when they received the Torah, because they were, they were bringing all of those uh, Korbanot. Um, we look at that one later. Which one? The one where he... Where he talks about that? Yeah, we should. But let's let's first just see the Kedor, right? What is it? What is it? Are we recording? Why is it mentioned? Yeah, it's recording. Why is it mentioned here? Do you, do you want to read the Kedor? Right? Let's see. Question. Let's see. 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 So he lights the, he does it each morning when he sets up the menorah. We all know these psukim from the Ketorah, right? And uh, the question is, what is this doing here? Why, after the whole outline of the Mishkan, after the whole description of everything that needs to be done, we have the Ketorah as an afterthought, the Mizbach Ketorah as an afterthought. Everything was already described. Big day Kehona. The entire structure of the Mishkan. Big day Kehona. It says, uh, and if you look at the end of Perk Kavtet, it sounds like we're done talking about the Mishkan. It's designated, it's consecrated, that's it. And all of a sudden, Mizbach uh, HaKetorit. Why? Just the orientation, it's given 
And, and, and it, should, it should have been really in the beginning of Parashat Tumah because it's located between the Shulchan and the, and the Menorah. So why now? The first thing that was brought down was the Aron. The first thing that's mentioned to make yes. it the Aron. Mm-hmm. And this is the last thing. And its reference point is, in, is to the Aron. special. Very, you know, emphasized. Moshe Rabbeinu hears the call of Hashem from between the kovim. It's a symbol of how nivua reaches, even though it's obviously a metaphor, because not really that the voice has to come down through the kovim to Moshe Rabbeinu, but that's how they would perceive it to show that that's the uh, to make uh, manifest to them the process of nivua in a way that could be could be understood by everybody, even though really it's obviously something that occurs. Why through the kovim? Because Kruvim represent Nebuah. Because Malachim, or Nebuah comes to people through Malachim. So they're supposed to represent the, the phenomenon of Nebuah. Oh, so, so, so what would the Ketoret be then? Why, why do you need... Why, if you needed Ketoret, why wasn't it mentioned before? And if you don't need it, why do we have it now? Because up till now we don't have any idea like that. Why is the assumption that we need it? Why would you have an afterthought uh, extra part of the Mishkan? Why was it an afterthought? Maybe it was just deliberately given. Why? Last. Why? Why? Obviously, it was deliberately. It looks like an afterthought. Why? Why? Why would it be left to last? Could be the most important left for last. Though. Could be. The Zohar really why? likes the Kitar. That's why they have it so many times in the Tuna. And notice that it's not in the parasha about the structure of the Mishkan. It's in the parasha of the Kiona. And it mentions in the very last pasuk, the Chiper Aaron al Karnota Bachat Pashana. Aaron is going to atone for the horns of this altar once a year. Midan Chatate Kipurim Bachat Pashana Yichaper Alav Dodcha. Why do you have to mention that now? That once a year they're going to atone for That's written in the Avodat Yom Kipurim. Why do I have to mention it now? Why is that part of the. Uh, Part of them is this is that, that I have to I have to cleanse it and, and atone for it every year. Why? Why? Why would you mention that now? It's mentioned already in the Avodah Yom Why do you have to mention it here? Somehow it's part of the essence of it that it has to be renewed and atoned for every year. So what what is the fact that it's in the parasha of Kohen? I'll tell you. And it's not part of the. Uh, it's not in the parasha of Truma that's about the Mishkan. What, what is it like? I'm just thinking out loud. Something about it being eternal, where the Mishkan, where the Mishkan's eternal also. But the Mishkan was like just for the desert. Um, if we're looking at the two sides of the coin in the Mishkan, what do we have? We have a structure that has symbolic meaning to it in and of itself, right? That's supposed to create a framework for us. And we have the people in the Mishkan who are either enacting certain behaviors that represent ideas that we're supposed to apply to our life or representing certain ideals that we're supposed to aspire to. The Kohanim is the human side. Mm-hmm. So 
the, the Mishkan, so to speak, is the divine side, meaning it's the, the structure of the Mishkan is supposed to be the framework. When we approach God, in approaching God, there are uh, occupational hazards, so to speak. In other words, the idea of the Ketor, it seems to be, that the Kehunah, the idea of approach, it's something that happens after you do the Avodah. Right? It's something that happens when the, when the Kohen is, uh, you know, is involved in the Avodah, after we've discussed all of the, of the Korban Tamid, let's say. We've discussed the Korban Tamid. The Ketoret is something that after you've approached God, you need Ketoret. You see it also in the Kodesh Kodashim. That when the Kohen goes in, what does he bring? Ketoret. Right? And he has to bring the Ketoret. And it specifically mentions in Pituma Ketoret Ketzad, Shlosh Meot, Shishim Bishmone, right? Three of them are for Yom Kippur. I right? have to mention that in the, that's a separate thing. The, the, the Ketoret of Yom Kippur is not part of the Ketoret of every day. But it's trying to show you that they're related. In other words, there's something about the Ketoret of every day that's all has in common with the Ketoret of Yom Kippur. What is the idea of the, of the cloud created by the Ketoret? It's a type of a, a, the cloud that when I'm approaching God, I have to step back. The cloud means the mystery. The cloud means that there's something beyond what we can really grasp. The cloud is like, the, some, tr- some say it's like a protective cloud, meaning I'm, I'm going into the realm of, of God, I have to take a step back. I have to recognize <coughs> that there's a limit, um, that there's a danger, so to speak. I'm getting into dangerous territory by approaching God. The cloud represents the mystery that is there. And like the, when the Kohen Gadol enters into the Kodesh Kodeshim, he brings the cloud. The cloud on one hand represents the Shekhinah, but it represents really the mystery of the Shekhinah. It represents my distance from the Shekhinah, but I can't see through the cloud. Okay? So, so too, when, you, when you're approaching God in Avodah, there's always an approach and a stepping back. There's always an, an offering, but then there's a cloud that obscures things. There's, there's what seems to be a certain level of clarity that's achieved, but then a cloud. And the cloud is, uh, you know, it, it involves some stepping back. Because when the room gets clouded up, then the coin leaves. Right? He waits till it gets clouded up and then he leaves. And so the Ketorah seems to be at the end of everything we've said, at the end of all the Avodah, there's a, there, every single day there's a cloud of Ketorah created in the Kodesh, which blocks between the Kodesh HaKodeshim and the rest of the, uh, and the, rest of the Beit HaMikdash, basically. Because it's lined up exactly in front of the kaporet. Meaning as if to say, we're approaching God, we're going into the Kodesh every day, but then we're realizing that there's a mystery, that there's some, there's, there are aspects we can't break through. There's a, there's a cloud that we can't break through. We have to step back. We have to step back into the humility, the yirat, the yirat Hashem that also comes with serving Hashem. So it seems like the Ketorah is for the, is for the Kohanim or for the Bnei Adam to recognize the limits. Everything else is about the approach. The Ketorah is about the stepping back. So that's why it comes at the end of Parashat Titzaveh. At the end of the whole thing. Everything about the Mishkan is about approaching God. The Ketorah is about the humility and stepping back. Lest you think all these things will bring you to a... Directly. It's a direct route to the, uh, you know, to the Kotel. Direct route. Not a direct route to the Kodesh Kodeshi. You can approach the Kodesh. Every time you make ten steps forward, nine back. You know, there's always a step back. There's a flash of light, but then there's a cloud. And that's, that cloud symbolizes our recognition that there's a limit. And you even see in the, when the Mishkan is dedicated, what, it, it's filled with a cloud that nobody can go in. 
Right? Nobody can even go in because of the cloud. Meaning that the cloud is always a pushing back. It's a saying, yes, you, you made steps to come close to God, but don't think you can just trample through all of the boundaries and approach God. There's a, there's a stepping back that has to occur and a humility that has to occur. And it's a constant balance between the two. So you're lighting the menorah as the Kohen, just as he's shining the light that represents the light of the Shekhinah in the Kodesh, he's also making a clap to obscure it and to block it. He would actually go out because it would fill up with smoke? In the Kodesh Kodesh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kodesh Kodesh. In the Kodesh, I don't know if it filled up with smoke, but when you. But there was smoke. The smoke, was smoke is a cloud. It was supposed to make a, a, a cloud that basically blocks the Kodesh Kodesh. It's right in front of it. So just as he's creating light, about the shining of light that uh, comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we can access and be enlightened by the Chochmat Hashem and come closer, he's putting a blockade right there. He's putting a cloud there. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and each time he does it, each time he's involved with the Menorah, he's involved with the, uh, he's involved with the, uh, with the Ketorah. Right? So it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting addendum to the, uh, is he okay? I don't know, so I just have some answer. Maybe he fell asleep. 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 Maybe he fell Oh, you missed the big thing? Yeah, it was very small. Now Jordan has to tell you don't No, no, you have a 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 No, no, you have No, no, you have No, no, you have No, you have No, you have No, you have and then go to the whole paragraph of the Kohanim B'dek Yerunar, I was talking about B'dek Yerunar a lot. And then, um, so we offered the reason that Mizbech Pnimi, it creates a, uh, it's a, what it does is it's smoke. And what the smoke is supposed to, we're talking about Ohad Mu'ad, because we're always filled with smoke and we have to leave. The idea is smoke and um, Signifies mystique. In the midst of the, the Shemana, is it's not comprehensible, and um, unless you think that all these utensils are utilized in a way that you can get too close to God, closer than you think you can get, it's supposed to like it, it pushes you out, kicks you out of it. Um, and that's what would be after the Kohanim, not at the after the Kohanim, especially because the second Barashav Tzitzavah is about the Kohanim who are approaching God, and it's associated also with the Menorah. Every time he lights the Menorah, which is the light of the Shekhinah, and it's emanating from the Kodesh Kodeshim, you have this cloud that he creates, which is right square in front of the Kodesh Kodeshim and the Kaporet. It's like blocking you, which is what the Kohen Gadol does when he goes into the Kodesh Kodeshim the one time of the year. That's, that's the, he fills the it up the with the cloud. I thought it was a smell thing. It, 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 it has a good smell, but... Uh, but, um, but, but it's in the covered room. Right. I, 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 I never thought about that. It, 
Um, but the idea is that, and it says that they could smell it throughout the entire, you know, this the smell wafted. But that's, that, that's just the idea that, of course, the shechina, there's a pleasantness. I mean, having a relationship with God that's healthy is pleasant. It's good. Not too close that you get burned, like Nadav and Not too far. So the sweetness of the smell means, what is smell? Smell, what is really smell? Why is smell the metaphor? Because smell is a pleasure from, from a distance. Right? You don't stick your nose into it. Right? You, you smell from a distance. You're not tasting it. You're not eating it. You're smelling from a distance. That means that you're enjoying it. Not despite the distance, but actually because of the distance. Because the distance is what allows you to have a true perception. Yeah, what in the smoke, what it does is it says you, you, there is some mystique here. There's, there's a limit on the approach. I, For every time I approach, I step back. Right. right? Like the cloud filled oh, that's, away. That's the conclusion. The cloud covered, cover, covered uh, Har Sinai. Right? We also saw that the same Korban. Every time it mentions the Korban Tamid, it mentions Har Sinai. Or it mentions God <coughs> revealing himself, this is the place where I'm going to speak to you. Right? Or Ha'asuya Bar Sinai. It's the same Korban that was brought on Har Sinai. There's, a, there's an evoking of the idea of Har Sinai. And even the fact that what? We didn't tie this last detail in. The fact that it mentions that this, this Mizbeach of Ketoret every year has to be atoned for. Meaning the whole idea, why is that part of the description of the, of the Mizbeach of the Ketoret? It's not on anything else. But the idea is that because it's, it itself re- is representing our limitation in being able to approach God. The closer you get to the, the, more. To the, to the ultimate of Kodesh Hashim, the more gold, because it's just the idea of the most precious and the most valuable. And, but it's only Ketorot on there, except when they put blood on there, because blood to atone for it, meaning that we haven't gotten the lesson of the Mizbach Hector because we came too close. Right, we, 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 oh, that's we, where the Torah is for? Whenever we, yeah, the Ketorah mm-hmm. is to recognize that we have to keep a distance, but we didn't keep the proper distance. We thought we were closer to God than we were. We thought that we, we overestimated our knowledge of God. We overestimated our closeness to God. So we have to do it. So that, that itself, why no other Kli of the Mikdash does it mention in the construction of the Kli that there's an atonement for it every year on Yom Kippur, except for the, except for the Ketorah. I'm confused. Is that message for Kohanim or for Everyone, all really. the Jews? Every watch? message for Kohanim is for everybody. They're just the representatives. Like why on Yom Kippur, like the holiest day, are we trying to atone for not, like, we should be thinking the opposite, like we need to become closer to Hashem, sort of? No, but, Yom Kippur is a day where we realize God's so transcendent so and we're great. so unworthy, and He does a great chesed in giving us the opportunity to approach Him, and how do we take it for granted? How, we're taking it for granted, that privilege. You know, that's, that's the idea of Yom Kippur. The, the Kaparab Yom Kippur is recognizing that. Kippur is recognizing we're not that we're we, that most of our nature it holds us back from real relationship with God, and yet He extends to us a chesed of inviting us to, 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 to relate to Him, which is which is wonderful, but can be really abused when we don't understand what it means and we overestimate. Now, what does it say in the opening of in the opening of Yom Kippur? It's mot That's the opening of the Avodat Yom Kippurim. That Hashem spoke to Moshe, Achare Moch Nebne Aron, the Korvatam, the Valley of Obacholete, the Kodesh, we bet the Pochet. What does that have to do with Yom Kippur? That's all the time true. But it's saying the essence of Yom Kippur is recognizing that distance. We do it every day with the Ketoret. And I was saying before, in Pituma Ketoret Ketzat, what does it say? 
368. Right? There's, there's, there's the 368, right? 365 for the rest of the days of the year. And three for Yom Kippur. Why does it have to put them in one? It puts them in one. Because it's saying really that's the ultimate expression of the idea that the Ketorah expressed every day in its own way. It expresses every day. So when you have a Korban Tamid, you also have a Ketorah. When you light them in one, you also have a Ketorah. And you could see why even in the Kabbalah, I'm not in the Kuba, but like even in the Kabbalah, they make a big deal out of the Ketorah. The Ketorah is very important. You have to say it. And the Zohar says the Ketorah, you know, that saying the Ketorah is so valuable that Hashem, you know, that if a person recognized the value of the Ketorah, when they say it, they would want to take every word and, you know, put it as a, uh, in a crown. I forget the exact uh, words of the Zohar, but it's, you know, the value of it is really emphasized in Kabbalah. That's so why people get a cloth for it and everything. Unfortunately, they may or may not understand, like, what, what it means, but I think we can... Almost every I find that most things, most of the time, I don't want to say a percentage because I don't want to overstate or understate, but most of the time, when the Kabbalah finds like special significance in something, even if it expresses that significance in a way that we don't connect to, they're onto something always. It's always onto something. You know, like it also says in the Chazal that the, the Kohanim would vie for the right to do the Ketorah, and they were only allowed to do it once. Like it was a big deal to do the Ketorah because it expresses, just like we said, that you know the light of the menorah shining inward towards the center candle shows that Hashem is transcendent and that He doesn't need the light, and that's a great zechut to be able to manifest that idea. The Ketorah is manifesting an idea too of God's transcendence and mystery. That as much as we approach, we have to take a step back. That's yeah. why one has to run out right, right, right after right. quickly. Can't linger. He has a very small, short tefillah, and then he goes. In in the in the case of we, we also had mentioned before about Moshe Rabbeinu's oil moed, the original oil moed of Moshe Rabbeinu was Moshe Rabbeinu's own tent after Chet meaning the idea that he would come into the camp and if you want Yidiat Hashem, you have to go out. So that's what the Mishkan ends up representing, but inside the camp. But even there, you have there's always a give and take. You can come in, but you have to stay out. But you come in, but you have to go out. And even the Kohanim. So it's a, it's a trying to teach us this sense of trip. There's a sense of great love and 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 desire to and and, and of course David Melech expresses it in a lot of tailing, the desire to be in the house of God. But there's also a yirata mikdash, and which really, like the Rambam says in uh, in in in, in Chot, uh, when he talks about the avodah, it's not really from Hashem. It's not really from the mikdash that you're afraid. But from the one who commanded it on the Mikdash, right? Meaning that's the real awe of the Mikdash that you're supposed to have. So there's always a death associated with it. You come too close, you can die. Um, same yeah. with Harsinai. There are two. Harsinai is similar, yes, Harsinai. It's similar because Harsinai, what was the concern? Make a fence around Harsinai. Because what's going to happen? You're going to hear Because they're going to run they're out to say, and, and a lot of people are going to die. Meaning that's, the, that's a non negotiable. Making God into an object that you can somehow Tangible. overtake. You can overtake. You can fully perceive. You can fully grasp. Is that Pshat of shifting the Beit Hashem and then later the Vakir the Hechalot? The Vakir, right? There has to be limits. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I think, you know, the, the higher level you are, the, maybe the more you can, but it's, uh, it has to, even for, even for the greatest tzaddik and the greatest person, it has to be limited. There's always limits. So he was born at Davin Avinu. Davin Avinu weren't bad people. But in the same way that with the vision, 
at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, Vayu'u et Elohei Yisrael v'tachad v'aglav k'masem nivnat ha-sapir and all that, that the Rambam says the mistake was, Vayichezu et Elohim, Vayuchilu vayishtu. They were still involved in the physical while they tried to conceptualize God. And you can't do that. And so it says, their punishment was deferred, Nadav Avihu, V'yal atzilei b'nei Yisrael o'shalach yado. Right? So it says he didn't punish them at that time because it was right after Matan Torah. But later on, essentially do the same thing. They take a, an offering and, and actually now maybe we can even understand it better. I mean, if they brought a ketoret, that would be ultimate irony. Right? Because it says that they brought Esh Zarah. Right? But if, if that, that uh, the idea of the ketoret is supposed to be the distance and they, uh, and they broke through the boundaries using the ketoret. You know, so that's. Uh, so you're saying there's a purpose to the wall and going beyond the wall might not. There be might be something there. past there, and then also, also that's when Aaron. Now I'm thinking about this. What later much. on the, the people complain the about? Uh, the people complain about the uh, what happened to Korach and what does Aaron do? He brings Ketoret, the sin Ketoret, right? In the aftermath. Uh, Right, Ketoret always means you overstep. You, you, you over, you're, you're starting to, yeah, you're, you're overstepping a boundary, and the Ketoret represents that idea. Keep the sweet distance. <laughs> Keep the sweet distance. That's, that makes a lot of sense. It's the only thing he does for the question. He brings a Ketoret. He basically says, "I have no business being." Yeah. <laughs> no, he also splashes blood. There is an atonement there, but the but the the atonement, the all of the korbanot. Of Yom Kippurim are a setup, and then you have the the Anan Hakitoret, which is really the essential thing, and then all of the blood service in the Kapara is after that Kitoret, because that Kitoret is the main message that there's a there's a division between us and God, and that's what allows us to have Kapara on our Avonot that we recognize it. We recognize two kinds of division, one, two kinds of problems. I've talked about it a million times, but two kinds of problems. One, we approach God with too much confidence. And that's the kapara on the mishkan. That our use of the mishkan is in a, is un, you know is beyond uh, our, our own limits. And the other is the it is the seir lazazel, which represents that we just turn our back to the mishkan and follow the pleasures and fantasies of physical life. Those are the two ways we distance ourselves from God. You might think that distancing yourself from God, you can't go wrong if you're going towards the mishkan. That's that's what Nadav and Avihu said. You can't go wrong if you're trying to get closer to God. That's but that's not bring, always true. You bring the most katoras on the day that you're on Yom Kippur, which is... Yeah. No, you bring the most, because you have the regular, and also the... Right, you think you're the holiest, is oh, when you need the most. When with the most... That's why I put that big back. wall in front of the, the Harabai. It's to sell people. <laughs> yeah. but, but you can yell very loud. Harabai <laughs> <laughs> hears you. The sound waves are getting... Yeah, so the, but, but it's, a, it's a beautiful idea, actually. It really fits nicely, and it fits with why the Ketorah is so important, even in the Zohar, and the Kabbalah. And I'm not a Mikubal, but like, I appreciate that the, when the Zohar identifies an idea as being important, or a mitzvah as being important, it's, it, it, it gives you a... It definitely, even if you don't understand whatever the Kabbalistic ideas that they're trying to suggest, you can definitely see um, that they're pointing to an idea that even we can, we can grasp, you know? So that's that's the that's the what I think is really really nice. Very nice. Yeah. So no. the Midrash show somehow Hashem's transcendence and our inability to get too close. What about, what about the Shulchan? I think the Shulchan is really talking about God providing sustenance, which is the Pshat of it. 
you know, that uh, that the twelve loaves are the twelve uh, the twelve uh, tribes of Israel, I assume, according to the pshat, and that the the point of the uh, the point of the uh, of the shulchan is to show that our our sustenance comes from God, because in the remember the mishkan. The way that I was explaining it and the way that I understand it, and it could be revised a hundred times and in ten years from now I'll say it's all wrong, but this is, you know, the Ketorid stuff, I had an inkling what it was, but when we talk it out in the group, it always becomes much, much clearer to me. When we, when, when, when you look at the Kodesh, like yeah, what, I, right, what I was saying the about the Kodesh the other day is that the outer room, of, I mean the Azarav, the Bit of Midash, is about the animal part of, uh, of a person. Meaning the part that needs to be Burn the part that is the, the purely physical that needs to be overcome in order to come close to God, and that's why our korbanot they don't ever go in there. You don't donate anything for the kodesh; it's only only for the outside. So then you right? you make your way in and you get to the kodesh. But the inside, to me, the kodesh, kodesh represents a life, a human life that is properly organized around you. The atoshem. There's the physical. There's the intellectual. And there's understanding also the Ketorot, which is somewhat of an afterthought, meaning it's not of the essence of the life that's organized towards Yudiyat Hashem, but it's the constant check and balance to make sure that the person doesn't overstep and walk into the Kodesh, the Kodeshim, so to speak. That's why it's right square in front of it. If you think about it, it's like blocking you. When you come out of the Kodesh, Kodeshim, it's right there. So the, yeah, yeah so the, it's literally in front of the Ketorot. You can't walk straight into the Kodesh, Kodeshim, it's right there. So the so the uh, it, it gives you that idea that a life ordered around uh, around service of God around knowledge of God has these components the intellectual of the Menorah that I perceive the light that God sustains us and I see the Ashkachat Hashem in the physical but not for not for the sake of indulgence not for the sake of just the physical alone but for the sake of of it's an instrument to knowing God that's why it's not eaten in there it just sits there. It literally just sits there all the time, right? Actually, the uh, actually there's an Ibn Tibon. So the Rambam says in the Mordechai, Bukhim, I don't understand the reason for the Shulchan. Mm-hmm. He says, I haven't figured it yeah, out. Because the rest makes sense. Yeah, he, said, he doesn't mention the Gadot either, but he says, he, he said, well, he mentions it, but he says specifically the Shulchan, I don't know the reason. And Ibn Tibon said, here's an idea. Here's an idea of the reason. Why do you put the bread there all week? To show God doesn't need any bread. Meaning you take it into the Kodesh, you put it there. So that would actually tie in with the idea of the Menorah that it doesn't need light. Right? You leave it there all week, and it's right, still it's sitting there. Nobody ate it. So then the Kohanim eat it. So the idea that you're again showing that God doesn't need God any is not food. Like right? God doesn't need any food, and God doesn't need any light. Right? So if that's true, then it could be that the whole purpose of the Kodesh is a buffer between man and God. Right. right, that man is the outside. Kodesh or Kodeshim represents the metaphysical, and in the center are three things that are what is a buffer between man and God: the intellectual, the light, you know, the light that shows that God is uh, is doesn't need any light, right? Only we need to be enlightened by God. The food that shows that we need food from God, but He doesn't need any, and the Ketorah that shows that we can't access the Kodesh or Kodeshim uh, because there's a distance between us and God. So, you know, that's, that, that's, be, that's, that's an interesting way to tie it together using that idea. But the problem is that mankind never sees them in the Kodesh. They do, because they open the doors. It's open. You the can, doors see, open. It you can the, see in, just not that well. Now you would bring your phone, we're saying you bring your phone in. Zoom in. in. 
Yeah, yeah. the TV station. The TV stations. They go huge. You can see screen. You're allowed to have a camera in there. So the Quanim get this idea and then teach Ami shows. Yeah, jokes aside. Even if you can only see a little bit of it, you can't see even a little bit of it. You can have a camera in there. Jokes aside, Rabbi, they could put a few in the future. You can make that. You could have a camera seeing the whole service. You're not supposed to see in the Kodesh Kodesh. Oh, you're not supposed to be a drone. You're not supposed to see into the Kodesh Kodesh. So no camera allowed? Maybe that idea is even better. No, you're not allowed to see it, but your teachers are going to call on you and they're going to experience it and then come explain it to you. Yeah, so that's a good idea. Yeah, it could be that. I mean, I think the point is that we know what they're doing. For them, the experience reinforces the ideas, and of course, they're allowed in the Kodesh precisely because they're supposed, they're expected to have a higher understanding of these ideas to be able to lead and teach us properly. And so it could be that that's, could be it's just for the Kohanim, could be that the fact that we know what they're doing in there, we also partake of the uh, idea too, just like when you learn the Kohanim. You, you partake of those ideas as well. Uh, by knowing about it and knowing what's going on and maybe peeking in a little bit you could see from a distance you know the, what the figure is moving around in there because um, the rule that I mentioned before that every, that you can do a korban anywhere in the Azra but it has to be open to the Kodesh Kodesh so funny because the so the doors are open like the doors are wide open from the morning same way you were saying there's, there's levels of restriction as you get closer mm-hmm. but you can always peek because there's yeah you can see a little bit into the next one even even the, the Except the Kodesh, you can't get them created. No. Where we walk up to the Ezra's that's fully open. There's no door there, right? Yeah, we're, allowed, like, we're up to the line. Yeah, there's no door. But then there's a hecht past the Ulam and the hecht, those doors of the those that hecht, yeah. so the Kodesh is open, you're saying, right? Every, anytime you bring anything on the Mizbeah, that door also has to be open. The door of the entering the yeah, Kodesh. Anytime from, from the beginning of the day, the first, they would open the gates of the Hechal so that they would, because even a Shlamim or any Korban that's brought during the day it would have to has be to be connected. So. Right. Oh, Did okay. I mention the idea of Allah? Wait, Chet Ha'egel. You think Mishkan is a direct sequel of Chet because Chet was you feel like we're so close to God. The Sephorno makes that very explicit, by the way. The Sephorno directly says the whole purpose of the Mishkan. There would have been a Beit Hashem. There had to be, because even even the, uh, even Abraham Avinu wanted there to be a, a place. And even even in Az Yashir, uh, we say that there's going to be There's going to be. But it, whether it would have been exactly the way that it is, it might have been of a different nature had there not been a cheta egel. And also, all the korbanot of Aaron, it always says, oh, this korban of Yom Kippur is kapara for cheta egel. This is a kapara for cheta egel. Mm-hmm. And the Rambam actually says a very interesting thing in the I think I have the Moina here. I'm not sure, I might have brought it. But um, he says, don't take those explanations lightly when the Chazal say that, oh, this sa'ir uh, is because of uh, the... Uh, <coughs> is because... The because the brothers of Yosef uh, slaughtered a Sa'ir to cover up, and 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 that uh, that it was for the kapara of the chet egil, the korbanot that Aaron raises. Don't take it lightly, because it, it, part of the perfection of a person is to realize that uh, that it's not a simple thing to overcome a, a defect, and we have the same defects, we have the same tendencies we have to overcome. Meaning, it's it's not like oh, it was all fixed. The chet egil is all fixed. You could see that it's not fixed. Anybody with a brain in their head and eyes sees that the same sort of stuff is going on. Oh, B'nai Yosef, the, the brothers, Achei Yosef, they were so bad, they sold their brothers. There's not people selling each other out and doing the same sort of stuff, taking it. They're the same. So the idea of it, is, it hasn't changed. 
Well, maybe, why is there so much of the Jews? Cows and curry and stuff and everything. Where are you in curry? Under the land. Under the, um, there's proofing. Right, so, then, so the, all the things that are in the Merkabah appear in the, in, in the uh, Mekdash because it reflects the Merkabah because the whole idea is Nivoah. And that's the gateway to Nivoah, is Masayim Merkabah. Slaughtering animals. Look, the Rambam also says that what's the what's the uh, what's the uh, the Rambam says why do you have specific animals sa'ir and parim and all that slaughtered as korbanos is because these are the animals that people worshipped the the, the they worship the and he says they worship the sheep the cow and the uh, and the sa'ir the sa'ir was the demons they're called sa'irim demons he said so all of these things were done on purpose he also says blood. They either believe blood was a taboo thing that you're not allowed to go near it and it will it will make you uh, uh, impure and it will make you uh, something bad happen to you, or they ritualized it and they would eat the blood because they thought it gave them some power. He's like, those are the two things that we do the opposite. We say that the blood is mechaper and cleanses you instead of saying it's bad because it goes on the mizbeach and you're not allowed to eat it. So a lot of it is in the correction of the avodah zarah. Because you have to realize Abu Dazra is not a, a specific like religion or action. It's a, it's human nature, the desire to find the magical and this and and the mystical in you know in the world and to try to tap into non-rational, non-chokma forces to uh, you know that that you believe are out there in the world. But the the lesson of the Torah is there's only one thing to tap into, which is the chokma the Shem that runs everything. There's no, uh, there's no second system. There's no like beta or anything like that that you can tap into. Left unchecked. Magical or, or idolatrous. Well, that's our nature. Yeah. Our, just think of yourself and how you've developed, how you related to God when you were younger, how you relate to God now, how people relate to God when they come here. Yeah. There's differences. There are some people who really do have a deeper understanding, but there are a lot of people who still relate to God, like, you know, Avinu Sheva in a literal way, not in a sophisticated way. And so uh, that's the uh, that's the difficulty, that's the challenge, and that the mikdash well, is supposed to, to correct cheta egel because get what they want. egel is a, like the, the the Rambam quotes the idea that you know every bad thing that happens to Jewish people happens a little bit of cheta egel still. There's always a little bit of cheta egel. Cheta egel wasn't that they explicitly said we believe God is actually the statue. They didn't believe that, but they believed that they could create something kind of like the door enosh. We could create some kind of an intermediary. We could create something that symbolizes and gives us a feeling of security in God's presence. That's really what they wanted. It wasn't so much that they believed. They knew that they just made this idol. It didn't take them out of Egypt. But it's representing God, translating God and God's presence into a physical, tangible thing they can relate to. That can give, because it gives you a feeling of security. It gives you a feeling. That red... I can know that I've done mitzvot and I follow the Torah and I don't feel secure that God protects me, but a red string on my arm, I see it. That's the God is with me. Did the Mishkan give the same security? Even though in Bazim Did the Mishkan succeed in giving them training. the same security? What? The Mishkan itself. The whole idea is your security has to come from Yidiyat Hashem and, and real Kirvat Elohim that you have. A person who has that, David Melech, he says, he doesn't need uh, a red string because it's a, he knows that he has a relationship with God and he's following the path of God. That's it. That's that's what he needs. Right? 
that it's to wean us off of a primitive idea of God's of a closeness of God or God. It's not such it a comes from a tangible form. It started in primitive right. time, but it's very. Uh, but we're giving a tangible form the most to reach we, an we, ideological explains, knowledge of Hashem. Basically, what the Mishkan does is uses physical objects and imagery to help you rise above this. To help you, instead of the physical imagery becoming the end, becoming the, the totality, which is Abu that you see your God hanging on a cross. So, you know, it's like, uh, I remember, I don't know if I ever gave you guys this, uh, suggested to this recording, many, many, many years ago, so it's gotta be like 30, over 30 years ago it's gotta be now, there was a, there's this movement of B'nai Noach in America that started. This pastor discovered that, you know, there's a lot of shtuyot in, in, in the New Testament, and he decided to start, teach, as he was, he decided, I want to learn the Old Testament. And he started, he realized, wow, our religion has nothing to do with this. What is our religion? Right? So he started teaching, and he started seeking, and he went on, like Larry King, actually. And he was being interviewed. He was like, what is your new religion? Noahide religion. He's like, I want to go back to the original the original Gentile religion that the Torah talks about. And he ended up getting in touch with Rabbi Chait, my teacher, Rabbi Chait, and he became like the rabbi of the Bnei Noach. So he gave them shirim. Like, uh, the name of the pastor was J. David Davis. I remember his name because it was a strange name. J. David Davis. And they, um, he wrote a book called um, Finding the God of Noah, where he like, acknowledges Rabbi Chait in the beginning as like his teacher. He taught them like the parts of the Talmud about, uh, about Bnei Noach, but mostly he taught them philosophical ideas. And about Christianity? No, about Judaism. Like, to be a Noach, to be Bnei Noach. Part and of so, that is why you shouldn't be a Christian. Yeah, it, what? Right, and so what happened was that this was in Tennessee, this guy was from Tennessee. So they had cult awareness week in Tennessee, and these <coughs> other pastors and ministers said that Noachide movement is a cult. And they started calling him out at this movement, at this gathering. Okay, this oh. pastor starts call. He was at the gathering, like J. David Davis was literally right there. And so this minister, whatever pastor, starts like bashing Judaism. But like he started by bashing Benenach, but he basically bashed Judaism and talking about how Christianity is, yeah. right? And um, and Rabbi Che took the recording. It's actually really, really entertaining. You guys would, would actually really like it. Dissected it. So he takes, the, he plays like a minute of the recording and then he totally eviscerates every single point. Like, to the, that you know, and he actually sent the tape back to the guy of his own, of his own response. I don't know if there was any further dialogue, but like, there was no room for further dialogue. He totally crushed, crushed it. Like there was one thing where he's like, where he was talking about faith, and he said, you know, I go on an airplane all the time. I don't know how to fly an airplane, but I go on one all the time. I believe, you know. So you should also be able to believe. Why do you have to know? Why do you have to understand? So Rabbi Chait said that makes sense from your perspective. But if nobody knew how an airplane worked, you wouldn't go, right? You know, like very basic things. But it's hilarious. It's so funny. And one of the things that he said was, you know, Jews don't talk about God. Rabbis never talk about God. You know, and, and all that. And, and, and he's talking about how, you know, God is mysterious and this and that. And Rabbi Chait's like, Rabbi Chait basically said, I don't talk about God because I actually believe God is mysterious. He's like, but your God looks like a person. Is that mysterious? You know, it was, it was a very, very funny debate. And uh, 
it, it's probably like an, it's not a real debate. It's like him playing the tape. It's like an hour. It's like an hour. It's worth listening to. It's very fun. Where do we find this? I can send you the recording. They have it on the website of the yeshiva. I listened to it a few times because it was just a <coughs> It's really old tape now. In any case, that's the idea that these, these tendencies still exist within us. So we need the uh, Mikdash to help people to uh, have a proper physical environment that is only the starting point, but actually directs them to really higher understanding. It isn't the end point, but it has to be the starting point. And that's really what the Soforno says really nicely too, that the purpose of it was that since they, through the Egel HaZahab it became clear that they were attached to something tangible. So in order to wean them from that and educate them, you can't just say, don't have anything tangible. You have to find a way to design the tangible to get them, to help them rise above it. That's not so simple. Because that's what Dor Enosh tried to do and it was a disaster. Because Dor Enosh said, oh, you know, let's bow to the stars. That's how we honor God. That gives us something to attach our, our, our worship to, really. But really it's to God. But we're using the moon as an example of God's handiwork. But after a while, you lose that, and it just becomes the moon. And then after a while, you don't even have the moon. You have a picture of the moon. And that's how it, it mm. got further. That's what the Rambam describes when he talks about the history of Abu Dazra. You remember this yeah. uh, at the beginning of Hilfot Abu Dazra? That's what happens when a bad educator says, the way to teach is to dumb down the content. I want to bring it. That's why he says uh, that the Chachamim... I forget exactly the language of the Rambam, but like their, their wisdom became foolish and they came up with a dumb idea, right? A bad idea. It was the Shem Shemai. They were trying to help the people connect to God by giving them something tangible to focus on. And you'll notice that what, happened, what the Rambam describes is that the further they get removed from even the natural object, they're not even worshipping, not even bowing to the, to the moon. They, then they made a building where they bowed to the moon. Then they made an image of the moon. They don't even bother looking at the actual moon. So they became more and more de- detached from reality as the time goes by. Because at least if you're bowing to the moon and you think it's God's handiwork, God's still in the picture. After a while, you know, it becomes further and further isolated, cut off from reality. No it would be like a person no who walks... What? No one's going to make the Kotel joke? Yeah, I, I was just about to say, it would be like somebody who walks right up to the Kotel and all they see is the Kotel. After a while, all they see is the Kotel. They don't see beyond. That's exa- I was actually just about to say, not even a joke, it's really true. That's a really application of that. We lost our sense that there's something beyond it. And that's the, uh, that's really the, the problem. And it's the, the true, that's the true uh, problem. But, the, but when it comes to God, obviously it's even worse. Uh, that, that's a, in the description of Abzat, do you have it? Yeah, I'm it it's really good. Yeah, read it, read it. It's really good to read well, every week. No, about the about the Abu That's why he's very the way that he explains how that's what developed. It's fascinating. Oh, the of yeah, so good. Why is the only obsession? Maybe it's just tangible. Maybe it's necessary. But with the measurements and half measurements and two and a half, how much? People, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I think. It's also with korbanot in general. Korbanot in general have very strict rules. You're not allowed to bring something that's not a, not necessary. Not not this, not that, because since you're dealing with this interface of man and God, it has to be designed by God. It can't be designed by a person, because once you open the door to a, a person, can't decide what the framework is going to be, oh. because that's opening back to Abu oh, that again. Makes a lot of sense. That's making Adam the Kovea. So God says, "This is the size. This exactly. is this." Then even David says, 
that Nevoa determined the design of the Beit HaMikdash also. He didn't just make it up. Even what Shlomo did was Alai uh, Hiskil, you know, uh, the, the, that pasuk from Debrei Yamin, where David HaMelech said that everything was set up. Uh, uh, what's the pasuk? I'll tell you in a second. Famous pasuk. What the computer actually helps with that, yeah. with my bad memory. Um, no, Kim Roda. Hakol Bechtav Miyad Hashem Alai Yiskil. Kol Melechet Tabnit. Right? It has to be, and that's why, and the Gemara always asks whenever they're like, oh, they wanted to change this, and they're just, was like, what, how can you change anything? Right? The Gemara always asks from this Pasuk. What about the fact that Kol Bechtav Miyad Hashem Alai Yiskil? That everything was from Kadosh Baruch you can't just change it. From Nivua. Uh, because you can't let the human imagination be the thing that's going to determine that. It's too dangerous. It has to be uh, only from Hashem. Um, yeah. so, so exhaustively has to tell you every detail. So every no, detail. So there's no, no space, space for you to come in wow. and be like, I want to do it this way. I think this would be uh, wow. the way to do it because then you're, t- you're making Adam the Kovea how to approach God. It has to be the other way. God is telling you how and when. Right, and, 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 and how close and, you can get it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the control. That's a, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's from, from the perspective, like, why has to be so detailed? Yeah, that's like, that's, uh, and that's and that's it's awesome. excessive detail, but that's the reason. So it's your kilomar hakol yodim she'atahu But excessive details are necessary. Even the excessive details are necessary. Yeah, that's why it's to bring that idea that there's no leeway. Yeah, it, it you, don't need, you don't need to think on your own at all in, in this regard. So I mean, it's true. Betzalel did. It says Betzalel did because he was he had the chokma. With uh, Vedat and all that, he was like, and he was Betzel Ed. He had Ruach Hakodesh to understand. We talked about it when we learned Masechet like Shabbat. Uh, when we were here last time, we learned that that Agada about Betzalel and Shema Betzel Elaita. How did you know what Hashem actually told me? You were Betzel El because Betzalel was me. So like the whole uh, the the whole idea that Betzalel understood because he understood exactly what Hashem was trying to convey with each one of the with each one of the kelim, so he was able to make sure that the design uh, faithfully reflected it, but it still had to come from Hashem. It couldn't be his own, his own invention. Even down to like, how to sew the, you know, it gets into all these details about how, how you should sew the big day kelim It's because of that. Because you, you can't be man forcing himself onto God. It has to be God. Inviting. I can't, I am to hear this. I feel so bad for you. Earlier on the recording, oh, yeah. it worked. If I send it to him, that's the real question. Yeah, but I, I got all of the, he, he, he airdropped it to my computer and then I was able to like uh, share it with everyone, it was good. Yeah, Bimei Enosh, Ta'ud B'nei Adam, Ta'ud Gadol, V'nivara Atzat Chachmei Otodosh. He's saying it's a Chachamei. What does that mean? It means they were trying to teach the people. They said, oh, since God created the stars, let's uh, worship it. Not lachlok lem kavod. We're actually worshiping God. The king wants you to honor his servants. It honors him. What are you reading from? Just from Mahil Chot Avodat Kochavim the Rambam, very beginning. Where he talks about how Avodas are involved. Right. How, right. How, and he says, what does he say at the end? Right. The pasuk because. Uh, because it says uh, it wasn't that they thought that the, there was only this kochav, right? They knew that there was God. Klomar kol yodim shatau levadecha, aval ta'utam uchsilutam shemidamim shezeha hevel v'tzoncha. They thought that God wanted this kind of a worship. He doesn't want that. He would rather have you say, "I can't relate to God." 
then make up some ridiculous thing about bowing down to a star. Where do you see that also, very interestingly? In the book of Eov. In the book of Eov at the end, the friends who are the most from people, God says, you did not speak of me properly, Avdi Eov. What do you mean? Eov was bashing God the entire time. What do you mean he didn't speak? He says, no, you did ask him to pray for you and all that because you did not speak of me properly, Avdi Eov. What does that tie into what What does that mean? Because Hashem would rather a person say the truth. This doesn't make any sense to me. I don't don't understand this. Then have people be yes men and be like, no, no, it is true. The the real reason is because you sinned and that's why you got punished. But Eov says this doesn't make sense. I know that's not true. I would rather say, uh, there's a pasuk where he says, um, I forget the exact uh, language of the pasuk where he says, you know, even if I were face to face, even if he even if he punishes me, I would still maintain my ways. Meaning, I would still say that I, I know I did right, and he and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, right? But he was telling the truth. I don't understand. It's like the Gemara with the. Uh, the Gemara of Yirmiyahu, that, uh, the Gemara that, uh, that I've mentioned many times before, where the, the Anshei Knesset Hagdola, how they took out Hagadol Hagibor Vanoa. Remember this Gemara? Do you know this yeah. one? Uh, Such how, a good one. How far can you go? Huh? The one that, how many more um, adjectives are you going to use? Which, which no, no, there's a, there's a really good, let me find the exact text of the thing. I'm going to find it for you. Similar idea that we studied with Daniel, with Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't answer us. We still know it's true. Yeah. We're not going to... Uh, right, here it is. It That's came up here on this thing. Where is it, though? It's time. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Where is it? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it wasn't Daniel, was it in that episode? I know. Oh, oh, it's in, in Daniel. In the Sefer, Daniel. Where is it? Why every website except for the one that I want? Is it going to no, it's in the soldier who was captured. He was held captive for a few days. They tried to ransom him. So Who's this? Nachman Waxman. Vaguely. He was a teenage chayal. They abducted him. Mm-hmm. He was hitchhiking. Yeah. And I still remember that as like the most uh, united worldwide you know, Jewish cause. Everyone was praying for him for like a few days. They gave an ultimatum that uh, if they don't release certain people, they'll kill him within a few days. And they sent like the Matkal unit, like a few hours, it was Arab Shabbat, to, to try to extract him. And they killed all the, the terrorists, except they, had, they shot Nachshon in the head right before it, they oh. got to him. Um, and then they interviewed his mom after. And they ended up killing Nachshon? They, they, the, no, the, the terrorists, terrorists killed oh. Nachshon right before they themselves were killed. And it was like, if you remember, like, uh, this is bigger than Gilad Shalit, this is bigger than anything else. It was enormous. And, um, like, Kota was, the world was packed. Hundreds of thousands of Jews, and they asked Nachshon Waxman's mom after the fact, like, you know, all these tefillot, all these tefillot, they didn't, uh, didn't help. They didn't do anything. Like, don't you feel like God didn't hear the tefillot? And she goes, no, he hears tefillot. He just, he does what's true in his eyes, but it doesn't affect the 
fact that um, the Tfilot aren't effective and Tfilot is powerful. And... So listen to this, listen to this. Lama Nikra Sheman Anshe Knesset Agdola. Why did they call them Anshe Knesset Agdola? It says Yomah Samechtet Amud Bet. I found it on Tzafariah. Right? It says, because they returned the crown to its glory. He said, God is great, mighty, and awesome. said, Goyim The Goyim are, you know, croaking, they're, you know, denigrating the Hechal of Hashem. Where's the awesomeness of God? So he didn't say the word Noran, because he just said, Gadol Vegibor. Goyim, we didn't get to this Pasuk yet. He just said Ha'el He never calls him Gibor. Right? The Chachamim came and said, No, Adorab, Zohi Gvurato. This is his might. He doesn't punish the wicked right away. Right? Because if the Jewish people didn't survive, the, the fact that the Jewish people survived should be an awe to the uh, nations of the world, even though they sometimes have the upper hand, the fact that we survive. Right? So what did the... How could the later generations uproot a takan? How could Yirmiyahu disagree with Moshe Rabbeinu? How could he change it and say, no, only Gadol Vegibor? How could, how could they do it? So it says, Amar Rabbi Lazar, Mitoch Shiyodin Be'hakadosh Baruchu She'amitihu because they knew that Hashem is true, they wouldn't lie to him. Meaning, if they didn't see it, they wouldn't say it. They're not going to say something they don't believe it when they're talking to Hashem. Hashem doesn't want you to say something that you don't mean it. So, if you say, so better that Eob say, I don't believe any of the nonsense that you're telling me that God is good and all that because He's not good to me and better that He be honest then he'd be a yes man and say, oh, well, it, it, it is really, the wicked always suffer and the righteous, they always are, have everything and they, you must be bad. They would rather you be honest and say, I don't see it. I don't see it. And that's what Eov did. That was the greatness of Eov. Mm-hmm. He had the humility. Moshe Rabbeinu, what does it say in Masechet Bechot? That, uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the, the burning bush, right? It says that he covered his face. And because of the zakhut that he covered his face, later on his face shone. Right? Meaning the humility actually of recognizing what you don't know at a certain stage can bring you to know much more at a later stage. But if you don't have that humility in the beginning to realize you need to progress gradually, you can't jump. So then you won't gain as much as you potentially could. So even within what is within your reach, you'll, you'll destroy yourself if you don't progress at the right pace. It's also true. It's also really important. Mm-hmm. Like the Rambam gives the analogy always of a person who stretches their eyes to see too far. They won't even be able to see what's close anymore. You know? Because it'll ruin their eyes. So the same way if you stretch yourself too far, you'll ruin your eyes even to see what's close. And, uh, and, it, and it, it's true that, um, that the, it, you know, it's something true. It's, uh, it distorts your whole perspective. Meaning if you once you start to try to, if you notice people who have strange ideas, it tends to filter into many aspects of their life, even things that you would think are, you know, would normally, if they had never stretched, in, if never gone into those realms, then the way that they 
the, the way that they understood and, and acted in, in uh, mundane aspects of their lives would have probably been more rational and more healthy, but because they, uh, because they believe in the magic Das Torah, instead of going to a doctor and saying, what should I do for my hurt leg? They go to the Rebbe. And, and he says, don't get a surgery, so they don't get it. You know, meaning once you start trying to explain that, you know, the way things work is, oh, everything is Ruach HaKodesh and everything is supernatural and everything is this, and even in the basic things, you're, you're not going to be able to see reality. The doctor knows more about whether you should get a surgery or not. You get a second opinion, that's a good idea. But not of the Rebbe. Unless the Rebbe is a doctor. Right? If you want to ask somebody, what, how should I think about this illness that I have spiritually, that, then you ask the Rebbe. Not about what surgery to have. What medicine should I take? Sometimes, you know, a rabbi can be a doctor or know about that, but a lot of times not. So it just shows you that your, your metaphysic affects your whole attitude towards, uh, you know, even towards basic things can be, can be affected by, by that. It's true. All right. Everything about writing all these ideas into a book. So I actually was. It's interesting that you mentioned that. My problem is twofold, or maybe three. Don't, say, don't say you're not a good writer. Please. Problem number one. No, I didn't. I didn't say I was a bad writer. I'm a laborious writer. I mean, it takes me a really long time to write. I don't think my product is bad. I think it's pretty clear, pretty good. But it just takes a really, really long time for me to do it. The the real issue for me is three things. Number one. I never feel the ideas are complete. Like, and when I learn with you guys, it reminds me of that. Because even if I say, oh, well, let's talk about this, I have like a little bit of an inkling of it or maybe a general idea of where it might go, but sometimes not at all. I was saying to Ariel last night, I like to come not having prepared the area, because number one, it's boring. I don't want to present to you a class the whole time. I'd rather just kind of guide you through the way that I would approach the area if I was learning it myself. You know, with my chabruta, like your, this is a chabura. I know, so you, you, like, you develop some of the ideas that people just throw out randomly and then it develops into... Yeah, and then it connects to other things and I think that's, that's, the, that's what makes it enjoyable for myself. Like it keeps me engaged with the process. I'm not just like delivering information to you that's boring. I mean, you, even if it's new to you, it would not be exciting for me. So the process of like the learning with you guys, it's always... Uh, you know, dynamic. And it's, I always end up learning something and clarifying a lot. So I always feel like it's not finished. So I always have a fear of putting anything in writing for that reason. On the opposite yeah, end, is that rabbi? There is like, reason. Yeah, there's That's, probably 20 books about this we could nice learn, and time. we would learn more with you in this one hour than we could in those 20 books combined. But the, the your ideas thing, are very I said clear. To my son last night, I was like, you know, I've been thinking about transcribing a bunch of the content that I have on SoundCloud, especially the stuff that I've done with you guys this year, last year, and the second trip. I don't think we recorded Just the first trip, did we? Yeah, not transcribing word for word. I said, going through it and summarizing the ideas, and I said to Nathaniel, I'm like, I think you would, you've hurt me the most of anybody in the world. You so probably it. you would be the most, like, able to do it other than myself, because I understand what I mean. You know, rather than delegate it and then see that it doesn't come out exactly the way that, uh, you know, that I envisioned it. So, uh, so therefore, I asked him, I think maybe we'll partner on doing that to start, just trying to come up with notes on the material so that it's in a written form wow. and then see what, where it goes from there. Yeah. 
I think that would be the first. Because I was also really, honestly, like, the la- all three of the last three years, I don't remember much of what we did the first year because we didn't record it, it was just us, but... The, the, the school? School about the Gamliel, yeah, 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 yeah. The second year... <laughs> Every class. The second year... Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, yeah, you could pause it. The second year that we didn't record it, there was a lot of good content in that too. And even last year on Zoom, there was a lot of good content. But, you know, I, I, I would love to put it into a written form. And this year, there's been amazing content. Like 